Okay, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Text will be verses 3 through 6. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 6. A familiar passage I trust to us, and one that I will encourage to be a, a truly a blessing for us this morning, an encouragement. But Christ is speaking. He says, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostle said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If he had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to Thee this morning once again. We do ask that You would be at work in our midst with Thy Holy Spirit, using Your Word in each of our hearts as You so desire, that we as believers who are gathered here will be conformed to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that the sanctifying work of Your Word and the Holy Spirit would be continuing today, that Father, truly would be more Christ-like as a result of our time spent at thy feet this morning. Again, we do ask if there is one here that does not know the forgiveness of sin that is found in Jesus Christ, that, Father, you would be at work convicting and convincing them of that finished work of Jesus Christ that he accomplished on the cross of Calvary when he died in their place for their sin. And may they, by faith, come to believe that Christ died for them that he was buried and rose again, Father, triumphant over sin, death, and hell on their behalf, doing that which they could not do in themselves. We pray, Father, that they would come to know thee. We pray, Father, that as we leave this place here soon, that we would go forth rejoicing that it's been good to have been in thy house. And may we go forth a shining testimony of thy saving grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we look at our passage this morning, increase our faith is a statement used by the apostles as Christ speaks to them. And uh, I find it interesting. We'll look at this uh, a bit this morning to understand, I trust, what he's talking about. As we look at faith, uh, the definition of the underlying Greek word, that is, uh, means a conviction of the truth of anything. Belief. In the New Testament, it's of a conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things, generally with the included idea of trust and holy fervor born of faith and joined with it. Relating to God, it is the conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal salvation through Christ. And relating to Christ, it is a strong and welcome conviction or belief that Jesus is the Messiah, through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. I appreciate that definition and expanding it to realize, you know, our faith is a, is a broad thing. 
We may not always think of it that way, but it is. It's not just belief, but it's belief in what? A lot of people believe, do they not? We all have expressions of faith. I've often used it. I don't know that I have here, but I, I did not notice anybody examining their pew before they sat down. You all took it by faith that your sitting down was going to be just fine, that it wasn't going to collapse underneath you, it wasn't going to fall apart. But we exercised it without really thinking about it, didn't we? We just came in and sat down. Didn't give it one thought that something might be wrong with the pew. We took it by faith that we could sit here without any kind of embarrassment of it falling apart underneath us and finding us collapsed underneath it. And uh, we do that with so many things. We don't even think about it. But I trust that as we consider our faith in Christ and God and all of this that is, is noted here in this definition of sorts, that that is how our faith relates. It relates to God and who He is, what He's doing. Um, it relates to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what He has accomplished for us in our place. And uh, it is truly a, a word that is chocked full of meaning and joy and contemplation for us. And the apostles bring it up. Because Christ seemingly presents them with a scenario that they find a little incredulous. So let's look at that. First, the scenario in verses 3 and 4. He says, Take heed to yourselves. Now he's talking to the apostles and those that are gathered with him in this passage. That word take heed means to turn the mind to, to attend, to be attentive, to give attention to. And so what is he telling them? In essence, pay attention to yourselves. Stop and think about things for a moment. We need to stop and consider at times our actions. He's going to speak about actions here in a moment. But too often times we look at the scenarios and we don't stop and think. We don't pay attention to ourselves. And Christ is calling them to that. He's going to present a situation. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Now we can follow this, I trust. We can put our mind's eye. Maybe we've thought of situations in our lives that fit the bill here. We've had somebody trespass against us. They've done us wrong. And we've done the next part. Sometimes a little too joyously, we've rebuked them. And you did me wrong. What you did was wrong. Then he brings it up. And if he repent, forgive him. That's a little bit harder, is it not? Oh, the rebuking, we can get into that. We can, we can really work ourselves up. Oh, yeah, I'm going to let him know he did me wrong. 
But in doing so, what is the purpose for the rebuke? It is what we see right here, that they ask for forgiveness. So doesn't that kind of change our actions as far as our rebuking? Because if we rebuke the way that we would like to at times, are we really seeking a repentance on the part of the person we're talking to? No, we're just giving them a piece of our mind. We need to hang on to those pieces personally. We don't need to give them away. But it's reminding us of how we present that rebuke. The rebuke should be given with the intent of having them understand that they've done something wrong and need to get things right. Not just to feel better about ourselves. Well, there, I took care of them. They did that to me, so I've turned around and done it to them. I've rebuked them and I rake them over the coals. But if we don't get a repentance, what happens to the situation? It remains a sticking point between the two of us, does it not? The relationship may very well be broken rather than restored. And there will be no relationship because we'll still be at odds. They'll be upset with us because of how we talk to them and we'll be upset with them because they did us wrong. And life is not happy. But he reminds us here in our passage to, yes, rebuke. And that may be at times sharply. That word speaks of that, to admonish or charge sharply. The wrong may necessitate it. But with the expectation and the anticipation of repentance. I'm sorry. Some of the hardest words we can say, is it not? Don't necessarily like the illustration, but it does kind of pop in. For those of you that are older, um, there was a sitcom called Happy Days that we may well remember. I see the smiles. And the Fonz, the Mr. Rebellion was caught having done something wrong. And he knew it, and everybody else knew it. But he had a hard time saying, I am wrong. And the whole storyline is about him trying to get that word out and having a hard time, because that's not the Fonz. And too oftentimes we're like the Fonz. We have a hard time saying, I am wrong. Please forgive me. I am sorry. But it's some of the best words to work with relationships, is it not? When we have done something wrong, to ask that forgiveness. And then on the part of the person who's been wrong, then to forgive him or her, to forgive. Accept that repentance and forgive your brother. Now, is that a normal response for a lot of people? Apart from Christ, yes, it's not normal. We don't like that. 
But for us as a believer, it is to be part and parcel. Why? Because we have a Heavenly Father who has forgiven us. Again, I'm not sure if I've said it, but my wife's teaching verse when she was teaching elementary school. Ephesians 4.32. Something every child of hers that she had in her class knew this verse. Be ye kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. There's why we forgive. Because God forgave us. He has forgiven us every sin we have ever committed. Now when we consider that, the rest of these verses really are easy to understand. But the apostles didn't have Ephesians 4 in their repertoire as they're hearing this scenario. They're just hearing, okay, if he, we, we rebuke him and they repent, we forgive him. Relationships restored. To forgive, to not bring it up again. It's taken care of. Let's move on. Too often times we forgive, but we don't forget. We harbor it. We linger. We hold on to it. We use it like a, a club over their head. That's not forgiving them. God doesn't hold your sin over your head as a club to threaten you. You live right or I'm going to bring your sin back up. No. Christ took care of that on the cross. It's done. The pardon, that judicial act has taken place. We don't go back to the judgment bar of Christ concerning our sins anymore. It's done. But he takes it a step further in verse 4. It says, And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Notice the little change. The first part was okay, I get to rebuke him, but there's no mention of you rebuking this person. It's now he's acknowledging it after the fact, I, I did wrong. And he comes to you willingly of his own accord and says, please forgive me. Okay, one time I got you. I forgive you. But you know, seven times in a day. This is where the apostles have a little bit of a problem. They're the skeptical ones, verse 5. We see the scenario, forgiveness. We see this, yes, hypothetical situation, but yet very much a real one. Somebody's wronged you seven times and they have come to you seven times asking your forgiveness after each time. What is their response? They're, they're oh boy, Lord, you're asking a lot of us. The apostle said on the Lord, increase our faith. 
add to our faith they're asking him to do. In other words, God, Savior, we, in my own strength I can't do this. Now I say skeptical, and yet when we stop to consider this, at least the apostles went to the right place. They, they are noting, uh, one time, okay, I'm good on that. I can, I can forgive them one time. Okay, maybe two. Yeah, okay, I've, I've got that. Maybe some of us say, could say, well, yeah, three, I'll take. Yeah, four, five, but, you know, seven times? He wronged me, then he comes back and asks for forgiveness, and I forgive it to him. A little bit later, he comes back and does something wrong, and he comes back. But seven times? You're, you're, in essence, you're stretching us to our limit. We, we can't do it, Lord. They're skeptical. They understand their own frailties. Do we understand? Because, again, go back to where we started. Take heed to yourselves. Stop and think. I mean, we, we can gang up on the apostles at times. We read through the Gospels. They, they, they did some good things. They got it. And then at other times, they just didn't get it. And Peter is sticking his foot in his mouth, and he's saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. They're bickering amongst themselves. But at least here, they got it. They weren't preoccupied with their bantering about and trying to jockey themselves for positions within the group as Christ is speaking to them. And it's like, oh, what, what did you say? Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know if I should say no or yes, because uh, I really wasn't paying attention to him. But I would say they got it. They were paying attention. They were stopping and considering, okay, what would I do? This person comes to me, so. Lord, increase our faith. They were skeptical of themselves, and rightly so. Are we skeptical of ourselves at times? Whether we're in public or not, you know, in public, oh no, I'm not skeptical. I'm, I stay confident. I'm, yes. I've got this. They're in the crowd. They're not. They're willing to admit, oh, <laughs> this is something I can't do enough in and of myself, Lord. I do not possess the faith to do this. Increase our faith. They acknowledge by those statements that only God could give them more faith. Increase it, Lord. You've given us the scenario. We've stopped and we're contemplating this. And this is something that is beyond us. 
How often do we find ourselves in positions where the circumstances place us beyond ourselves? The older I get, the more I realize there's much more in my life that is beyond myself. And I need the Lord. Yes, it may be faith that I need increased. Lord, I'm not understanding this, but you're calling me to do this, so I, you have a reason and purpose for it. Increase my faith. Help me to look to you, to, to draw on you, and to understand and believe in you more. I don't understand, but you can give me that strength. How do we respond when we're confronted with these kinds of things that just go beyond us? We need to cry out to God. Increase our faith. Because God will. We have the solution, verse 6, an interesting solution. Look to the source of your faith, God. He's the one that will increase it. You say, but look at the kind of situation that he puts us in. Yes, for us to look to him. That's the whole purpose, if you will. God wants our gaze, He wants our attention. We must look to him. He is the source for what we need. It says, And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. As we look to our source of our faith, it is God. The mustard seed was, is a very small seed. Not necessarily the mustard seed, ladies, that you have in your spice cabinet. Although, you use that as an example, if you will. Uh, the word here doesn't exactly refer to that same thing. But the mustard seed is a little seed which grows a big, a big plant upwards of 10 feet tall. So if you want to use that little mustard seed that you have in your cabinet, take it out and look at it. I mean, that's usually what uh, people will put in things that will sell this, whether it be the top of a pen. I've seen it there. They've stuck a mustard seed in the top of the pen with verses on it about a, you know, the faith of a mustard seed. And it's the literal mustard seed that you find in your spice cabinet. You know, it is very little. But to think that that little seed produces a plant that grows to be 10 feet tall? That's what he's noting here is that that little thing can produce such a large thing. I mean, think of an oak acorn. Some of them are bigger than others, but, you know, oak trees get rather big. They come from that little acorn. But then any seed, for that matter, kind of works that way, does it not? For the most part. The size difference is great. That's the point of what he's getting at here. You can have faith as a grain of mustard seed and much can be accomplished. He brings up the sycamine tree, which is type of a mulberry bush, that has deep Stubborn roots, very difficult to pull out. 
and remove. But he notes that the grain of mustard, as one dictionary speaks of this, the grain of mustard seed is used in order to show that the largest promise attaches even to the smallest faith. What counts is simply faith, not the quantity of faith. Faith looking to God lets God work, and so the impossible is possible for it. Increase our faith. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, this can be accomplished. Why? Because our faith is in our God, not in our faith. Faith in our faith is foolishness. Well, I have strong faith, so I can do That's foolishness. Our faith is in our God and what he can accomplish. He's the one that brings life to that seed. One of the, to me, continuing to be one of the most amazing things that you can plant a seed in the ground and given the right conditions, it is going to sprout. Is that seed living? Is it alive? It's not. The last time it was living was when it was attached to the plant to begin with. Whether it's green bees, peas, cherries, You name whatever you can think of where the seed is. As long as it's attached to the plant, it's living. But we take those seeds away from the plant. And we set them aside. For the winter. And wait till spring to plant them. They're dead. There is no life in it. And nothing happens to it until there is warmth and moisture. Typical elementary school science experiment. I know I did it with my wife's class when I taught science for them. We'd take different seeds and put them in packages and tape them to the window of the classroom, stick them in the closet, put a little moisture in there, get the warmth from the sun, and they would sprout. Have the warmth of the classroom, but no water, And nothing happens. Put them in a cold place with water. Nothing happens. The right things brought to bear and that which is dead gives life. How can this be? God. Faith is a grain of mustard seed. God can do what we find impossible. Say, forgive somebody seven times in a day, that's impossible for me. Yes, so trust God. He will give you the faith to do so. He will give you the swallowing of your pride, swallowing of anything else in your life that would bar you from that, so that you can. 
God's power alone can do the miraculous. The only real power of the universe, says a commentator, is the divine will. It is. His. Apart from this, this, this universe wouldn't exist. We wouldn't be here. By our learning to yield our will to his, we can see accomplish whatever God desires. But our distance from omnipotence measures how far we are from obtaining the desired union of will. Let me read that again. By our learning to yield our will to his, we can see accomplish whatever God desires. But our distance from omnipotence measures how far we are from obtaining that desired union of will. In other words, how far away from you, from God are you? The closer we are, the closer we can see his will accomplishes our will. The closer we see these kinds of seemingly impossible things accomplished. Because we're close to him. The apostles recognize that they were not as yielded to God as God desires them to be. And they seek him out for it. How are we this morning? The situations may be different than the example given here. But we may be at our wit's ends. And that's exactly where God wants us to be. When we have exhausted the store of our endurance, when our strength has failed, ere the day is half done, as the hymn writer notes. God giveth and giveth and giveth again. God is the one there to take us in those times. And he is to be our focus at those times. Always. God increase our faith. Maybe we're at a point in our life this morning that we find ourselves wondering, ah, Seek God. The apostles got it right this time. They're given this seemingly impossible scenario, and instead of trying to figure out how they can do it, they immediately say, God, increase our faith. You're the source of what we need to accomplish this seemingly impossible task. And God is. Because like that seed planted in the ground, God does the great work. May we continue to look to him. Christ's life on this earth was a constant demonstration of the yielded life to God the Father. And we see it summed up, really, as Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he's to be Betrayed and crucified. And what does he pray? Not my will, but thine be done.
God, your will is going to be accomplished. And your will is my will. And it will be accomplished. Do we have that same mindset this morning? It's your will, Lord. You'll see me through. You'll guide me. You'll direct me. You'll increase my faith. You'll do whatever is necessary to see me through. My faith is in you and you alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the example that we find here, the scenario that Christ put to his disciples. Their skepticalness in in and of themselves, thankful that they were willing to see their own frailties, their own weaknesses. And Father, seeing you as the solution. Father, may we take heart from the example here. We too will find ourselves in similar situations where it is beyond our resources. And Father, you've provided just that because you want us looking to you. You want to increase our faith. And so, Father, I pray that we would respond as the disciples, these apostles did. That we cry out to you, increase our faith. God, help me to be close to you. Help me to see you at work. Father, I know not what people are going through. You do. So, Father, I ask that if we find ourselves in in such a situation, may we immediately, like the apostles do, come to you. Ask of you. Increase our faith. You are the God of the impossible. We've seen it exemplified through the scriptures and various accounts of people of the past. In some respects, we have even seen it accomplished within our own lifetimes. Of that which just has no no human answer. But we readily acknowledge You have been at work. Father, it is those times that truly strengthen us and draw us closer to Thee. May we not turn away from those times. May we not seek to do things in our own strength. But Father, may we come to Thee wholeheartedly, unreservedly, And rest in the full assurance you will answer. Your promises are sure. They are steadfast. You will do what you've promised to do. You will give us strength. You will increase our faith. You will see us through. 
and we'll be the more Christ-like. Do that work in each of our hearts this morning. And may we go forth a shining testimony of thy saving grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.